0: We're continuing our teaching series this morning called Hereafter, What the Bible Says About Life After Death and What Lies Ahead. Someone last week after the service said to me, it's like watching a Netflix series. Each week a new episode drops and I can't wait to find out what happens next. Um, Yeah, it's great. So let's do like a Netflix series and let's recap where we've been, okay? So that you know where we're at now. Uh, in the first week, we talked about the sermon was called "Between Two Gardens," and we talked about this, the grand narrative of, of the world, of creation of history, that God is writing, from the Garden of Eden all the way to this future garden uh, in, in the new heaven and new Earth that is to come. And we talked about, okay, so that's great, what's to come after Jesus returns, but what happens now when we die? That was week two. What happens to our souls, our spirits? Well, your spirit and your body separate. The unsaved we talked about, those who don't belong to Jesus in faith, their spirits go to Sheol, which is the Hebrew word, Hades the Greek word, the abode of the dead. We know very little about it, um, but that's what the Bible indicates. The Christian, the believer of the one who belongs to Christ, the soul of the one who belongs to Christ, goes to be with Jesus upon death, a place and a state of complete bliss, but not our final home. It is a temporary stopover en route to our final destination, our ultimate destination, which is the new heaven and the new earth, which is essentially a renewed earth, and we're going to talk a whole lot more about that in the last two Sundays of our series, what that will be like and what that means. Uh, but in the meantime, we are waiting for something to happen before God establishes this new final heaven on earth. We're waiting for the second coming of Christ, which is what we talked about last week, the moment you've all been waiting for, the return of Jesus. And when Christ returns, that the very first thing that will happen is what we're going to talk about this morning, the resurrection of the dead. What is this resurrection all about? That's what we're going to talk about. And also, as a follow-up question to that, what will our bodies be like? What will our resurrected bodies be like in eternity? So the title of the message this morning is Heavenly Bodies. <laughs> heavenly Bodies. The Hope of Resurrection. Are you excited for your heavenly body? Yeah, me too. Um, and here's a fun fact, by the way. Uh, since, I've been, since I started uh, as a pastor officially in um, 2010, so 12 years ago, Uh, I've been preaching ever since, and this today is my 500th sermon that I've ever preached. Oh, that's kind of cool. Number 500. So you know it's going to be especially good. All right. (laughs) Let's just take a moment and pray one more time before we continue. God, we thank you so much, Lord, for this beautiful day and this beautiful opportunity to worship you in this place. And God, as we... Look into your word now. May you illuminate it to us by your spirit. Um, Speak to our hearts. And don't only teach our minds new things, but equip our lives to live in new ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, There's some uh, epitaphs on tombstones that are, some of them are quite humorous that I've come across over the years. And here's a couple that I thought, these all appear to be real, by the way, um, but from from, these are some ones that i found, okay? This one says, on the 22nd of June, Jonathan Fiddle went out of tune. <laughs> Another one says, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> I'm telling you, these, I believe these are real. Uh, John Dryden, 1631 to 1700, had this carved into his wife's headstone next to him Here lies my wife. Here let her lie. Now she's at rest, and so am I. <laughs> <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, as a young man considered becoming a, a clergyman. And uh, he was at that time uh, a printer. Uh, and uh, he, he penned his own epitaph. At the age of 17, he, he decided this is what I want my tombstone to say. And this is really good. He says The body of B. Franklin, printer, like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it will, as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition. Revised and corrected by the author. (laughs) Benjamin Franklin had it right. Biblically speaking, he hit the nail on the head. Franklin understands that his body is not going to be stuck in the grave forever, but that it will appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author, that being God. Franklin's referencing the biblical concept of resurrection, that one day in the future when Jesus returns, everyone will be resurrected from the dead. Everyone, everyone. The future resurrection is not only for believers, for those who have been saved through faith in Christ, but the Bible is clear that everyone will be raised on that day when Christ returns. We have the words of Jesus that indicate this. To start in John chapter 5, where he says, Don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. Jesus didn't come up with this notion on his own, it was a well established belief of the majority of the Hebrew people. Uh, at the time of Jesus, except for one sect of the Hebrew people that was known as the Sadducees. They didn't believe in a literal resurrection to come, and that's why they were so sad, you see. Um, we, thanks. Thank you. We we can read about the hope of resurrection in Isaiah 26 and in Ezekiel 37, but it's Daniel 12, two, that is the clearest... Uh, uh, passage of scripture that talks about the future resurrection being for everyone, which says, many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. That's Daniel 12.2, resurrection for everyone. So that was the belief of the Hebrew people, except for the Sadducees, and Jesus obviously taught this and affirmed this belief in his own teachings, and the apostle Paul also affirmed this belief when he was speaking before the governor Felix at Caesarea Maritima, and he said this, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So we know the resurrection is not just for believers. Everyone who has died at the time of Jesus' return will be raised, because everyone will be involved in the judgment that is to come. And that's what we'll talk about next week as uh, we get into that part of it. But that being said, we will talk today about what the resurrection means for those who belong to Jesus Christ in faith, Christians, because other than those three scriptures I just referenced, there's literally no other reference to what the resurrection experience will be like for the unsaved. Literally every other reference in the Bible to the future resurrection of the dead is referring to what it means for the people of God. That's the emphasis of the Bible. So if you're wondering, well, what will the resurrected bodies of unbelievers be like? The answer is, I have no idea, because the Bible says nothing about that. And I try not to speculate where the Bible is silent. But the Bible is not silent, certainly, when it comes to the resurrection of believers in Jesus, it's all over the pages of the Bible. In fact, there's an entire chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, that goes into great detail about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're going to be looking a lot at this today in a little bit. But to start, it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty one to 52, "...behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed." In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. It's also a big theme of Romans chapter eight, which is one of the great chapters of the Bible, Romans eight, one of the best, right? Romans 8:11 says, "The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. who? And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies." By this same Spirit living within you. And then a little bit later on in Romans 8. We believers also groan. We join creation in this groaning and longing for what's to come. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. Anyone else long for their body to be released from suffering and the effects of sin? Yes, yes. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. Yeah. The resurrection is a very important part of Christian theology. And yet, it sometimes gets overlooked. Often people assume that it just goes like this. You die, And if you're a Christian, you go to heaven forever the end. But that's actually not the story of the Bible. Because God's word very clearly teaches that one day in the future, God will resurrect our bodies from the grave to be reunited with our souls that had gone to heaven. And then we will enter eternity as whole beings, body and soul together. Just like we are right now, body and soul together. This is what our experience will be in eternity. Some uh, Eastern religions consider the body and the physical world to be evil. They teach that our ultimate goal is to escape the physical world, right? To To be joined with the great one unifying spirit and to become purely spiritual. But that's not what Judaism and Christianity teaches. God's original design for man was body and soul together. He made Adam's body first and then breathed life into it, breathed his soul into Adam's body, and he called that very good. This is very good. He created this physical world and said, this physical world is very good. So God's plan for the future is this physical world. When When we die today, we leave, hopefully not today, when we die in this period of age of the world that we're living in, we leave behind our bodies, but we weren't created as disembodied spirits. That's not God's design. So the resurrection makes total sense when you think about it in that sense because it's part of God's plan to put everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Body and soul together for eternity. All right, so that's a bit of a broad overview. If you brought your Bible with you today, we're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter four as our key text. 1 Thessalonians 4 and Verse, starting at verse 13. This is uh, speaking about the second coming of Christ and what will happen at that time. One of the, Another fantastic passage of scripture. This is what Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve Like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout! with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. So, encourage each other with these words. Now, why did Paul write this to this church in Thessalonica? And why do we have this in our Bibles? Well, Paul wrote this section for a very particular reason. The church in Thessalonica was a young church and simply didn't have all the detailed knowledge yet about what happens to the Christian when they die and and what is to come. Why didn't they have this knowledge? Because we can read about this in Acts chapter 17. The apostle Paul, who started the church, he was, he was kicked out of Thessalonica like in a hurry, and he didn't have time. He was only there for, I think, three weeks before he got the boot from the, the officials there. And so he didn't have enough time, and he would normally stay much longer uh, and teach and, and equip the people and give them the, you know, all the theology they needed, so, but he had to go. So there was a whole lot of things that they didn't get yet. And so when some of the members of the church started dying, as would happen over time, the Thessalonians, they didn't know what to think. They were sort of bewildered and hopeless. They were thinking, oh, these dead believers are going to miss out on the kingdom of God. And and Paul was writing to them to inform them or to remind them about the resurrection and not to worry about those who had already died because their hope is secure in Christ. And so the main purpose of this text is to tell them and to tell us today if you are grieving, if you have lost a loved one, who was a follower of Jesus, you do not need to grieve without hope. You have hope. You have hope because your brother and sister in Christ will rise again. There is hope. You will see them again. This text is also helpful because it helps us understand how things are going to play out when Jesus comes back. There's an order to things. It says that Jesus descends from heaven towards the earth. And he's bringing, it doesn't tell us this, and well it does, it says uh, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. So he is bringing with him the souls, the spirits of Christians who have been in heaven with him, they come with him. And then the bodies of these same dead believers come out of their graves and are reunited with their souls which have come with Christ from heaven. And then... The Christians who haven't died at this point will be caught up as well into the sky with Jesus. And then it says, and so we will always be with the Lord. The key to understanding this event and what happens next um, lies in verse 17 and the meaning of one word. Boy, this is where knowing the Greek really matters at moments like this. This word is the word that we translate meet in the English. We who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That word in the original Greek is "apentasis." Apontesis means, means meet. But there's a whole lot more understand, uh, uh, caught up in that word. It shows up in two other places in the New Testament. This is going to help us understand what that word apontesis really means. Um, in Acts 28 verse 15. We have this story. The Apostle Paul is on his way to Rome. This is near the end of the book of, of Acts. Paul's on his way to Rome. And just before he arrives to the city, some of uh, the Roman Christians uh, come out to meet him. They come out to greet him as he's on his way into the city. And then they, once they do that, then they continue into the city together. And that word is appentasis. They go out to greet him and meet him and welcome him into the city as he's on his way into the city. And the other place is in Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about his return. And he's using parables to talk about this return. And one such parable is the parable of the ten virgins. And in Matthew 25, verse 1, it says that Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet Apontasis, the bridegroom. They went out to meet him. And then in verse 6, it says, At midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Come out to Appentasis him. Well, this is based on the image of a Jewish marriage custom, where the groom leaves his house and proceeds to the home of the bride. Okay, So the groom is going to meet his bride. It's their wedding day. Okay, And then the bride in her home, she comes out to greet her future husband, She meets him, and then they go together back to her house, and they get married at her house, okay? That's how it works. So the groom leaves his house, the bridegroom leaves his house, she comes out to meet him, and then they go together into her house, okay? So it's the same thing that happened with Paul, right? Paul's on his way to Rome, some Roman Christians come out to meet him, and then they go together into Rome as Paul was headed into Rome. That's the image, okay? We see that in Acts. We see that in Matthew 25 as when Jesus is literally talking about his return. All right? Stay with me here. So it's generally used to refer to people of a city going out with fanfare and celebration with joy to welcome someone in, to welcome an honored guest into their city or into their home. And it reminds me of, um, of a time when I was in Kenya with Canadian Baptist Ministries. And we went to this very rural, remote uh, village um, in, in, in the northern part of, of uh, Kenya. And our group was welcomed by, uh, by the local women. Do you have the clip? Hey, let hey, we'll, we'll check this out. We'll get some sound on it. John. audio up. Again, yeah, Elizabeth. Start it again. Get the whole experience here. Yeah, okay. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I think that kind of gives us a feeling of, to me anyway, it gives me a feeling of like what it's going to be like when we meet Jesus, but of course on a massive scale, right? It's like, whoo, Jesus has come back. We're going to go, yes, Lord, come on back. Come Jesus. We need you. We're so excited. And this passage in Thessalonians is describing this welcoming party when Jesus arrives. And he doesn't turn around and then take us to heaven as the rapture teaches. And we talked about that all last week. Um, But he will continue with us now down to earth. He's come. This is the second coming. This is the arrival of Jesus. And then he comes and we escort him back to the earth. So it's the idea is we, the, the dead in Christ rise, and if we're still alive when it happens, we rise, and it's, it's hallelujah, Jesus is back, we're throwing a party, this is great, and then we escort him back to the earth, where he will then sit on the throne, and where the wedding will take place, the marriage between the church and Christ. Wow, it's such a great image. Yeah, so, that's what this, that passage is, is describing. Okay, here's the other uh, big idea that I want to talk about this morning, and that is that not only will there be a resurrection, but our bodies will be transformed. In 1 Corinthians 15, we already read this, it says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. By the way, this is the infant's favorite verse. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) Yeah. Heather knows what that's going to be like very soon. Yeah. Um, we, may, we may be alive when Jesus comes back. We shall not all sleep. There will be people alive at the time of Jesus' return. Or maybe not. Maybe you, you will be dead and buried. But either way, uh, if, if you are a believer at the time of Jesus, you will be changed with an awesome new body at the time when Jesus comes back. So that raises a fun question of what will our transformed bodies be like? Uh, these are the bodies that we will enter into eternity with, into the final heaven, These are the bodies that we will live forever in. So what will we be like? And the Bible tells us, thankfully. The Bible actually answers this question, so we can answer it too. Your new body will be, first of all, it will be you perfected. You perfected. Our new bodies will be perfected versions of the bodies we now have. Think think about when Jesus rose uh, from the dead. He didn't leave his old body in the tomb and get a new one. Right? It was the same body that hung on the cross. That's the same body that was resurrected. In Luke 24, when Jesus appears to his followers, they recognize him. They can see the scars in his hands and his feet. They can touch him. They even eat with him. His resurrected body is his original body, except perfected. It's like if you took an old classic car that was all rusted and in need of major repairs, and then you restored it. To a better than original condition it's the same old car but it's been transformed into something better and that's what will happen with the body that's what happened with the body of Jesus at his resurrection and that's what's going to happen with us our bodies will be raised by God and immediately transformed into a better than original condition so whatever condition you, your remains are in when Jesus comes back, I know this is a bit morbid, um, but it doesn't matter. Maybe you've been cremated or maybe you know it was someone who died a thousand years ago and there's nothing left, right? Um, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter because God is going to do the single greatest miracle. It's a miracle, folks. The single greatest, single greatest miracle in the history of miracles uh, and somehow resurrect us all by his power and immediately transform us. We will be given perfected bodies, free from the effects of sin and sickness. In Philippians 3, 20, 21, it says, We await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. So, your new body will be you, but perfected. And just because we have perfected bodies doesn't mean we'll will look totally different or have a totally different identity. We, you will be you. Dave Early writes this uh, in his, I forget what book he wrote, but he says this. In speaking of the nature of our resurrection bodies, Paul argues in 1 Corinthians 15 that just as a seed is a precursor and smaller indication of the plant to follow. This is one of the arguments Paul makes in that great chapter, that our, our bodies are like seeds being planted. Our current earthly bodies are unfulfilled versions of the bodies we will receive at the resurrection. Our new bodies will be completed editions of the bodies we now wear. In other words, when your first body will die like a seed dies, the new body will spring up from that old body. You don't plant a carrot seed and get a cucumber, right? <laughs> you plant a carrot and you get a carrot seed, and you get a carrot. And when a, a you seed is... Planted, when you die, a new and better you will grow by God at the resurrection. The new you will still be you, only perfectly healthy and whole. No physical illness, no mental illness, no genetic defects, no cancer, no dementia. Are you missing a finger, an eyeball, or a kidney? You get a new one. You will be you perfected. You will also be in a permanent body. Permanent. This is a permanent reality. Uh, I'm 37 years old now, and to many of you, I'm sure you're thinking, you're just a kid. But I remember when I turned 35, okay? And when I turned 35, like on my birthday, it felt like literally like a switch went off in my body, and I can't explain it. I was like, what? And suddenly you know, I get to the top of the stairs and it's like... (gasps) (sighs) and suddenly I wake up in the morning my back is like... (sighs) you know, like what is happening? I don't know why 35, maybe for you it was a different age, but for me at 35 the switch went off in my body and this reality set in that okay I'm starting to get old. I'm starting to break down. I'm on the path towards my death. (laughs) So depressing. But our new bodies, praise God, will never break down and die. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42, it says, So it is with the resurrection, so so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. There is no more death. The resurrected body of the Christian is immortal, imperishable, eternal, permanent. And third, it is powerful. 1 Corinthians 15, 43 to 44. It is sown in weakness, the seed of our bodies when we go to the grave. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is something different, something unlike our bodies now that will be true of our bodies then. It is quite likely that our bodies will have abilities and powers we previously didn't have. We know that Jesus' resurrected body had the ability to essentially teleport. We can read about that. He's in one place and then poof, he disappears and shows up somewhere else. This is an indication that he may have been able to walk through walls. I mean, this is like, wow, okay. And this is Jesus in a physical flesh and blood resurrected body. And the Bible says that our bodies will be like his. And so it gives me the kind of hope and feeling and wonder that maybe my body will be able to do that sort of thing too. Um, we don't know specifically, but I think it could be possible since our bodies will be like his, will our five senses be stretched to their fullest potential? How will things look to our eyes? Will we be able to see new colors that don't currently exist in our color spectrum? We know that there's things like ultraviolet light and infrared light that we can't see with our current eyes. Maybe we'll be able to see those sorts of things. Um, maybe we'll be able to see different dimensions, different realities, like into the spiritual realm that we can't see now. How acute will our hearing be? How acute will our smelling be? Will food taste more incredible than ever? Will we have new senses that we haven't even imagined? Will our level of intelligence be increased and accelerated? I mean, we don't know the answers to these questions, but I think, biblically speaking, they're all very strong possibilities, and it makes me excited and anxious to find out. Amen. So, so that's what believers in Christ have to look forward to. Resurrection, new bodies, you, perfected, immortal, powerful. Okay, cool, so what? Right? That's cool. Someday, maybe I'll, in my lifetime or maybe in a thousand years from now, i get to experience that. Um, but how does that affect my life today? Well, I love that in 1 Corinthians 15, after the Apostle Paul goes through this whole big long chapter about the resurrection of Jesus and our future resurrection and all that is to come, he ends the chapter like this. He says, therefore, okay, because of all this reality and truth and stuff that we have to look forward to, therefore, because of all that, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. That's how he ends the chapter. Our labor in the Lord, our work for the kingdom of God, the sharing of our faith, the acts of Christian love and compassion to our neighbors, obeying everything that Jesus commanded, everything that we're doing in this life to the honor and glory of God is not in vain because there is a future to come. All this exciting info on what lies ahead in heaven should encourage us in the mission today. It should remind us that our labor in the Lord is not in vain because eternity is on the line. That child you teach in Vacation Bible School, that friend you invite to church, that co-worker that you pray over, that stranger you share your faith with, that sermon video you post, that loving presence you bring to your neighborhood, and so on and so on. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because someday, you never know, your labor in the Lord may be the reason that person comes to Christ. And gets to be part of this kingdom of God. And perhaps someone will come up to you one day in eternity and say, Hey, remember me? You taught me in Sunday school. And that planted a seed of faith in my life. Thank you. Your labor in the Lord was not in vain. So the lesson is be steadfast.